0: Listening to the Mill Sunday School podcast. You guys can turn to uh, Ephesians, the book of Ephesians. It is in the New Testament. I'm going to read uh, a couple verses together. So, so if you do have a Bible, turn to it, open it up. Ephesians chapter two. It's in the New Testament. I always remember Galatians, Ephesians, uh, Philippians, Colossians as Go eat popcorn. Little acronym. That's how I do things. No big deal. Ephesians chapter two, verse four. This is a really big deal. This is the word of God. This is we're we're continuing to talk about salvation and, and grace and works today, specifically. It's mm-hmm. theology. We're gonna get into uh, soteriology, the study of salvation. Any fans? Yeah, soteriology fans, great. Ephesians 2, chapter 4, this is the real deal right here. It says this, listen carefully, it it gets a little confusing at the beginning, and then it goes to a verse, which I'm sure many of you have already heard before. It says this, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. And God raised up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Jesus Christ, in order that in the coming ages he might show the uncomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Jesus Christ. And then this verse, a verse that many of you have heard before, a verse that many of you may have memorized. "For For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this is not of yourself. It is the gift of God not by works, so that no one can boast. We are God's workmanship, created in Jesus Christ to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Let's pray this morning. Fathers, we begin the Mill Sunday School. God, would you open our hearts and minds to, to learn more about how salvation works? This The mystery between doing good works and, and trying to earn salvation and this mystery of just giving our faith to you and receiving, and receiving salvation. God, would you open up our hearts and minds that we might understand how you work, how salvation works inside of us. God, we're so, um, we are so thankful that you have deemed us worthy to, to have salvation. You made us righteous while we were still dead in our sins. And so, God, we love you. And we praise you. And everybody screamed. Amen. Thank you. When I was in middle school, I used to uh, eat breakfast, me and my brother. Uh, my dad would usually leave a little bit early for work. And so it'd be me and my bro and my mom eating breakfast. And uh, we didn't have a TV in the kitchen, but we had a sweet radio. And we'd listen to the radio, like kind of waiting for the bus. And if we timed it right, we'd, many mornings we would hear uh, a guy named Paul Harvey right before we went off to the bus ride. Anybody know who Paul Harvey is? Yes. Yes. He's, he's a guy that talks like, with a really deep voice, and he says things like, I'm Paul Harvey. You know what the news is. In a minute, you're going to hear the rest of the story. (laughs) and uh, he the rest of the story was like this program where he would uh either talk about a person or an event and list all these facts really cool interesting facts about them and at the end tell you who it was and so if it was like brad pitt he'd list like all these cool things about brad pitt and how brad pitt grew up and how cool brad pitt is and then at the end he would say and that We've been talking about Brad Pitt. And everybody's like, wow, that's so cool, Mom. Listen, that's Brad Pitt. Did you know that he did that? And uh, and so what we're going to do right now is the rest of the story. So I'm not going to tell you who it is. But if you guess who it is, don't yell it out. You can turn to your neighbor and whisper, I think it's so-and-so. And And if you're right, then you get the credit for being right. (laughs) So there was a man. Who lived in the Middle Ages? He uh, was a German dude, and uh, sadly enough, his his mom passed away when he was a kid. He was raised by his dad, and uh, he, he talks about in some of his journals and, and diary entries and things that his dad was never very happy with him. He was always trying to please his father, and his dad uh, just wasn't very happy with him. He couldn't live up to what his dad expected for him. In fact, his dad even wanted him to become a lawyer uh, and, and be like him, but he never amounted to being a lawyer. And um, and a lot of theologians—so it is, is a theological character— Uh, A lot of theologians look back and say that this person who who didn't feel loved by their father may in some ways have looked towards God and and thought, oh, God doesn't love me. I'm not measuring up to what God has for me, that somehow God is very unhappy with him and he has to work uh, towards salvation, work towards impressing God. Um, And in his 20s, this character, this uh, German dude in the Middle Ages, in his 20s, three of his friends died from the Black Death, this disease that was going around the, the, all over Europe. It killed one-third of Europe's population. One-third of you, raise your hand. Look around. I mean, if these people died, it's like, man, that's, that's a lot of people to have died. And, uh, and so this guy, this German dude, uh, three of his friends died from the bubonic plague, this black death. And he, his only thought, I mean, prevailing in this time period, there wasn't any thoughts about bacteria or viruses. Uh, people just thought they're dying because of the judgment of God. This disease would come, swipe through a village, kill one-third of the village, and let's just leave a village desolate. I mean, imagine one-third of us dying from a disease like swine flu. Look out. And, uh, and so he lost three of his friends, And he had thoughts of why in the world did God spare me? Uh, Do I have to? What? What can I do to earn my salvation? What in the world can I do to somehow win God's favor back and earn this the the life that He's given me? Because He didn't die in the Black Plague, and so to impress God, he becomes a monk. He becomes a, a priest and a monk, and he is extremely extremely harsh on himself in order to impress God. He, he fasted. that means he went up without food for several days at a time in order to impress God. He spent long hours of time in prayer. Uh, he would whip himself after sinning. He would take a whip and whoop, 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 hit his back, whip himself. He would uh, whip himself fast without food and then, and then sleep outside, no blanket, in the cold, uh, is in, in order to punish himself in order to try to impress God. And at one point, he says that he about died. I mean, can you imagine N- not eating food, nothing in your belly to keep you warm, sleeping outside in the cold without a blanket. He about died. His, his, some of his monk friends came outside, saw him, got him, brought him inside, nursed him back to health, And it was all, I mean, in his head was all this idea of, I got to impress God in order to earn salvation. And he continues to work on his salvation. He becomes, uh, he gets his doctorate in theology in in the Middle Ages so that he could teach other people the Bible. And it's during this time, right after he got his doctorate in theology, that he was studying the book of Romans. And I'm going to hold this up, cover his name, because some of you are still guessing who this is. Some of you may know, that's okay okay if you don't. Uh, this is his commentary on the book of Romans. We have this from the Middle Ages. He, of course, originally wrote it in German. Someone translated it, a guy named Theodore Mueller, in case you were wondering. And so it's the works, his works of the book of Romans, his comments. His, it's a commentary on the book of Romans as he began to study the book of Romans. And the book of Romans opens up with Paul greeting a whole bunch of people. And then the book of Romans opens that the main theological idea that begins the book of romans is in romans 1 verses 17 where it has the verse that says the just shall live by faith and and there's a verse that says there is a righteousness that comes via faith and this character uh this german dude in the middle ages began to just be intrigued with this idea of justification by faith that we are made righteous by a belief not by trying to impress God. We don't have to earn salvation. And this character wrote down a bunch of bullet points because his church was teaching him that you had to do good works in order to be saved. You couldn't just have faith in order to be saved. You had to fast and sleep outside and a bunch of things like that. And so he wrote down 95 bullet points on a piece of paper. And then on a big day before this big festival, when everybody would be out in the town and looking at, the bulletin board. I mean, imagine a time when there was no Facebook and internet or even newspapers. People got their news from like the, the local bulletin board, which at this time was uh, the church doors. And so he nailed 95 of these bullet points kind of against the church saying, the church should not teach that we need to do all these good things in order to be saved. We're saved by our faith in Jesus Christ. And, and so this character is always in the top ten list of like people that radically changed the world. It's his teachings that uh, led to the Reformation that then led to the Renaissance. Um, It's this guy that came up with the the theology behind the main points in the book of Romans that uh, the justification by God through faith. And of course, this man's name is Martin Martin Luther. And now you know The rest of the story. (laughs) Well, we are talking today about uh, justification via faith and that that good works come out of that and the theology behind that. We're continuing our talk about salvation. All this month we've been talking about salvation, which is obviously foundational to the Christian message, this idea of how do we get saved? Well, we're saved through faith. And so we're going to talk about that specifically today. Um, Last time, Noel Goodland was here. Noelle Goodland. A little shout out for her. She talked about uh, sanctification. And in a lot of ways, this message is the theology behind sanctification. The idea of sanctification is working out your salvation. And so uh, that's what we're going to talk about today. Sanctification, uh, i.e., how we are justified. And so just for logistics, just for announcements sake, if you are brand new to the Mill Sunday School, first of all, welcome. We're glad that you are here. Uh, We have these cards on some of the tables and some of the chairs. It just says, get schooled. It's a first timer card. If you fill this out and either bring it to me or the nice people at that uh, table back there, they will give you a CD from the Mill which has some worship songs on it and a welcome uh, talk by Aaron Stern, the main pastor of the Mill. And so we just want to say welcome if you're brand new to Sunday school. Keep coming. This is good stuff, right? Yep. Oh, yeah. All right. We're going to talk about works and grace. In your notes is uh, space for you to take notes. I, I, last time I was here, Noel was talking, so I was in the audience and I was taking notes. And I was just getting so ticked about how small this is. And so I, I was like, man, we, Sunday school should make this bigger. What are we doing? <laughs> and I was like, oh, wait, I'm in charge of that. And so... This is really more of an outline, if you're a big fan of taking notes, you might have to take notes in like a little notebook, so that's what I'm going to start doing when I'm learning in Sunday school. So we're talking about works and grace, and specifically, I want to begin by talking about the works side of salvation. And so I'm going to read one, two, three, four verses. I'm going to read them pretty quickly, uh, one after another. So pay attention to that. I would have you turn to them, but I'm going to read them one after another. There's four verses. Uh, we'll put them up here on the board for you. and You can write the, the references down and kind of look at them later. But the first one is Philippians 2.12, a verse that Noel talked about last time about sanctification, working out your salvation. Philippians 2.12 says this, it's it's Paul writing, he says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, and then this. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. This idea that potentially you could look at and say, Oh, you know, we have to work out salvation. It's 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 the process of working it out. Let me show you another verse about this about the importance of works. James two seventeen. This is a big one. Um James 2.17 says this, get ready. Faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. So if you have good faith, I I believe in Jesus, I have faith, but you have no action, what does it say? Well, your faith is dead. It's a very very humbling passage. James 2.19, this one's even more humbling. It's almost, uh, wow. You believe that there is one God, period, good, even the demons believe that, and they shudder. You foolish man. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Wow. James two twenty six, As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. And so here's, I want to give you kind of, I mean, we could hear these things, uh, these verses, powerful verses about the importance of works, but I wanna put it in a, in a context. I wanna ask you a question. This question you could think about on your own or you could, you could turn to some buddies and discuss it. And that, I think that's kind of the way to go. So if you invi- invite other people to, to have a conversation with you, and it's this question. And I ask this question with seriousness because I know that many of you probably have someone, as I, as I describe this person, many of you may have a person in your mind that comes to mind as I describe this. But imagine uh, someone you know, let's say a friend that comes to the mill Let's say they they come right down front. They're in what I call the crazy zone at the mill where everybody's like dancing and lifting their hands up front. So they're in the crazy zone. Every Friday night, lifting their hands, praising God. Uh, They sit down and during the sermon, they're amen in the sermon. They're like, yeah, amen, Aaron. I believe it, amen. They believe in Jesus. But you know them them from the mill, but you also know them from somewhere else. And you know that they kind of have two lives. And their other life, Outside of the mill is a crazy life, is a, a sinful life. And so you could fill that in with anything. You could say, oh, well, maybe the friend, you know, they come to the mill, they say, I believe in Jesus. They, they raise their hands. But then maybe the weekends or after the mill, they're, they're partiers. Maybe they're, uh, they drink a lot. They get drunk. Maybe they even do drugs. Maybe they sleep around. Maybe they're constantly just cussing, telling dirty jokes. They're just kind of a bad person, a life that does not represent Christ. Here is the question for you. Should you tell him or her that they are not saved? It's a good question. So think about it. It's a deep question. It's an important question. Should you tell this person, him or her, that they are not saved? I'm going to give you like two minutes to think about it yourself and discuss amongst your fellow friends. Ready, get, set, go. Still covering my landscape I never expected you to stay When I'm grabbing for these crumbs and cold loose chains check check let me give you like 30 more seconds to kind of wrap up and then i'm going to have uh if you want to share with the mill sunday school everybody what you talked about there'll be an opportunity All right. um, Let's talk about it. Uh, Maybe there's a few of you that are bold enough to to stand up. There's two dudes with mics. Raise your hand, mic dudes. They're so cool. Wait till, uh, get their attention, get the mic, and then if you would, just so everyone can see you, uh, stand up and and share uh, share your thoughts about the question. Um, Specifically, I'll just say the question again. Should you tell him or her that they are not saved? Um, Basically, we talked about, um, like, you're not the judge of people's salvation. There's only one perfect judge, and that's God. So it's not a place to judge them. However, um, you need to evaluate, like, is it really your place to confront that person? Like, if it's someone you're really good friends with, um, you can be like, hey, you know, you point out, like, what they're doing is wrong. And if Mm -hmm. you really want to be like Christ, then you should, like, maybe point out some verses to them or something. Yeah. Okay. So you're kind of saying two things, if I'm hearing you right. First of all, judge whether or not it is your place, if you really are friends with this person, if it, if you have some sort of role in their life, uh, and then the, just the thought of can you really judge another person's salvation? It's good. Good. Thank you. Yes, over here. Yes, ma'am. Um, in James five nineteen it says, "My brothers, if one of you should wander from the truth, and someone should bring him back, remember this: whoever turns a sinner from the error." Of his way will save him from death and cover over a multitude of sins. That's so good. I think that we do have a part, the responsibility, to help them see their error. But we aren't yeah. necessarily supposed to condemn them and say, "Oh, you're not saved anymore." And,
1: yeah. But we are supposed good. to help
0: them recognize the error of their way. Yeah. So if I'm hearing you right, you're saying one, we do have a role. If you if you know of a brother or sister who is saying, "I'm a Christian, I'm a believer," but you find out they're Living the crazy life, you do have a role to help them turn from sin, but you're also saying we might not be able to judge salvation in and of itself. That's good. Anybody else? I mean, those were two really good things. Yes. Somebody get him the mic. Oh, wow. Thank you. Well, I agree with what people are saying about you know judging people Mm -hmm. um it says in the bible you know judge not lest you be judged yeah it does uh you know remove the the log out of your own eye before you remove the splinter out of your brother's eye yeah good but i do believe that we do have a position as christians to help one another uh and to help you know them to see the error of their ways by bringing out the Word of God and and showing them that, you know, Jesus teaches us that if we love Him, we will follow His commandments, we will follow His teachings. Yeah, that's good, that's good, excellent point. Yeah, so the three of you all said uh, something very similar as that that I was going to say. I was going to say, yeah, we can't specifically judge salvation. We can't judge whether, we can't look at someone and say, yes, you are saved, no, you are not saved, but... I think we can say, and this is maybe my opinion, if we're talking to someone, we can say, "Hey, listen, bro, your your salvation may be, I don't know, I'm not judging you, but your salvation may be in jeopardy because it talks about in James how if your actions do not follow your faith, that that faith is dead. And so maybe you're not saved." I don't know. Yes, we got one more comment. Matthew, go ahead. Well, What I got out of, because me and my dad both have been doing a lot of studying in James, and what I got out of that passage is that um, a life of salvation will lead to good deeds. Mm -hmm. And maybe as opposed to coming up to someone and saying, hey, you need to stop this um, bad deed so that you can grow closer to God, maybe we should be coming at it from the opposite perspective of encouraging them to draw closer to God, So that the Holy Spirit can do his own convicting on their life. So that the Holy Spirit can do his own talking on their life and move move in his own way. Right. Yeah, so what you're saying, basically, is instead of just pointing the finger saying, you're a bad boy, say... Let, why, you know, like, you have salvation. Christ has set you free from those sins, something more foundational. That's good. I, thank you guys for, for being Mike Dudes. I want to read two, uh, let's see, actually I have three passages to read. And this first passage is actually the passage that we started this morning with, the Ephesians 2.8. I just want to reread that verse that is so popular uh, for us as believers to know and to understand. It's Ephesians 2.8. It says, For grace, for it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, not by works. And this is not even of yourself. It is the gift of God. Pretty cool verse, don't you think? We're saved by grace. Philippians 2, this is also a verse that I read. It was the, it was the work out your salvation. Let's read the rest of it, kind of in context. It says this, uh, Philippians 2.12, it says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and tre- trembling. And then the very next verse says this, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. So work out your salvation because why? Because you're earning salvation? No, because it is God who works in you. And then Romans, this is a, a great passage to show somebody, you know, if they're asking, what's it mean to be saved? You know, where does it say in the Bible what you got to do to be saved? Well, Romans ten nine spells it all out. Romans 10, chapter 10, verse 9. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead. You will be saved. And then Romans ten ten, for it is that with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. So here's the main point. If you're if you're taking noi- notes, uh, this is the main point of, of this discussion of works and grace. We are saved by grace through faith. That's the main presupposition of salvation. Uh, justification by faith. We are saved by grace through faith and good works are an indicator of this. Do you understand that? I mean, it's deep theology that did not come easy. I mean, it took our homeboy, the rest of the story guy, Martin Luther. I mean, he lived in, in the 1500s uh, and it, it took, you know, 1,500 years of church history as, as the church kind of fell into this, you got to be good in order to have salvation. You got to work out your salvation, meaning you have to earn salvation. And it took 1,500 years of church history for, for our homeboy, Martin Luther, to, to say, no, we're, we're justified by faith because the Bible says it so clearly. And it's so easy to be tempted to think that we, ha- we have to do something in order to be saved. We have to be good in order to be saved. And I remember um, I, I used to live in Utah during my college years. And uh, I'd, I'd go to college, and I, I got my degree in biology. And I remember one class, we were waiting out a uh, class. We were on break and in the hallway kind of talking. And I got to talking with this girl, and she was a Mormon. And uh, we, we were friends and so it was, it was just easy to talk to her and kind of ask her, so what, what do Mormons believe? And, and I would tell her what I believed. And it was kind of a, we kind of looked forward to the conversation where we'd, we'd discuss in a very nice way the differences of our beliefs. And as an evangelical Christian talking to a Mormon, there's a lot of similarities. You know, you could talk to them about Jesus and they don't know who you're talking about. It's not like, for instance, talking to a Buddhist that may or may not know who Jesus even is. Um, so I was talking to this Mormon, the girl, this nice girl in college, outside, in the hallway, and we were conversing, and, and the, the gist of our conversation was I was trying to say, listen, there's, there's big differences, differences enough from evangelical Christianity to Mormonism that says, you know, there's foundational differences, so much so that, you know, I would say evangelical Christianity is different, is a whole other religion than a Mormon religion. And we were going back and forth, and we specifically got to talking about justification by faith. And I was sharing, yeah, we're justified, we're made righteous, we're saved when we believe and have faith. We're saved by that grace of God. And she was saying, as a Mormon, following Mormon theology, she was saying, no, you're not, you're not saved just by grace. You're saved by grace and you've got to do good things. And I was like, well, what good things do you got to do? And for her, uh, she specifically said, well, you've got to go on uh, a Mormon mission, <clears throat> a Mormon mission trip. You have to be part of the Mormon church and be in good standing with the Mormon church. You have to tithe to a Mormon church. These are all good works that you have to add to salvation, uh, add to grace in order to be saved. She said, you have to do temple works. And she kind of explained, you know, you have to do baptisms for the dead. And I was like, do what? And she was like, well, that someone like, uh, like, like she had been baptized on account of family members that had already died that weren't Mormons. And so she was baptized like in their name. And, and I was like, "Well, that's weird," but but uh, that wasn't the point. She just she was listing things you had to do in order to be saved. And I was saying, "No, no, no, it's by it's by grace alone." And she says, "She was saying, no, it's by grace, and you got to do good things, or else or else you're not saved." And we went back and forth. We were disagreeing, and I finally thought of the example in Luke 23 at the end of that chapter of the uh, the thief on the cross. Have you, have you thought of this argument before And explaining to someone, you know, you, you, you don't have to have works in order to be saved. You're saved by grace alone. And I said, you know, the thief on the cross, So there's two criminals, Jesus is being crucified and there's two criminals and one of the criminals ac- accuses Jesus, makes fun of Jesus. He says, if you're the Christ, save yourself and save us. And the other criminal says, how could you be so cruel? In uh, uh, my, my, my wording, how could you be so cruel? Don't you fear God? this man has done nothing. We are criminals. We deserve to die. This man, Jesus, doesn't deserve to die. And then the criminal turns to Jesus and says, remember me when you're in your kingdom. And then what does Jesus say? Today, you'll be with me in paradise. Salvation was asked for, salvation given. The, the, the thief on the cross didn't have time to get down and, and get baptized or get baptized for the dead, or go on a Mormon mission, or tithe to the Mormon church. And, and so I was having this conversation with this girl, and, uh, which I, I just find so fascinating, that example, and to, to give you one more point about that. D.L. Moody, on the back of your Sunday school skillet, your notes, uh, there's always a sweet quote of the day. And today's sweet quote is by D.L. Moody, who is uh, kind of like the 1800s version of Billy Graham. He's like an evangelist, pretty cool, talked to like 30,000 people at one time. Without microphones, no big deal. (laughs) Can you imagine? Anyways, uh, D.L. Moody says this, the thief had nails through both hands so he could not work and a nail through each foot so that he could not run errands for the Lord. He could not lift a hand or a foot towards his salvation and yet Christ offered him the gift of God and he took it. So I was talking to this, this, this nice Mormon girl outside of class in a hallway waiting for class and I said, you know, what about the thief on the cross? And she basically said, well, that was Old Testament salvation. And I said, what? It's the New Testament. She's like, no, Jesus had not yet died and rose again. And I was like, I kind of just asking kind of in a silly way, if you know me, I'm a little silly. I was like, so if it was, if Jesus had died and rose again, and this thief asked Jesus, you know, remember me when I'm in your kingdom, would he have had to got down and go, go on a mission and be a part of the Mormon church? And she said Yes, he would have had to do those things in order to be saved. Now, this is what this girl said. I don't know if it's standard Mormon theology, but this is what this Mormon girl said. And I said, no, listen, um, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, salvation is by faith alone. And even more so, in the Old Testament, people had to bring animals, and those animals were killed on account of their sins on the altar and, and she was listening to me, and I was explaining, you know, the New Testament makes it even more clear that it's salvation by faith in Jesus Christ alone. And uh, we just began to talk about that, and she really listened. And uh, she was fascinated by, you know, in some ways she had heard it before, but she'd never thought it through and had someone explain it to her. And I just got so excited sharing faith with her, saying, you don't have to be a part of the Mormon church in order to be saved. You don't have to tithe in order to be saved. You don't have to do all these good works in order to be saved. You're saved by grace alone. And what's cool that happened out of that conversation is uh, she was thinking about going on a Mormon mission. A Mormon mission is a really big deal for a believer, a Mormon. They go on a two-year mission trip, usually right out of high school, usually just the dudes do, uh, and the women, uh, the, the, the girls usually don't have to. Um, they're really encouraged to uh, get married at an early age because the Mormon belief of family is so strong that it, eternal families and and your husband will turn back and call you into heaven. And so it's important that, uh, that girls get married. And so this girl I was talking to was like 25 years old and, and you're going to laugh, but it, and honestly, this is probably what she thought. She probably thought at the age of 25 that she's like an old hag, that she's never going to get married. And if she can't get married, then you know she's not earning her salvation to the full extent because the family is so important in the Mormon church. And, uh, and so she was going to go on a mission. You know, she thought, you know, if I can't even get a boyfriend and get married, then, then at least I'll go on a mission and try to earn my salvation that way. And so out of this conversation that I was having with her in the hallway waiting for class to start, she decided, I guess I don't need to go on a mission, huh? And I was like, yeah, you don't need to do that in order to be saved. And, uh, and so she, she didn't go on her Mormon mission. <laughs> Pretty cool. God's economy of ethics. I want to move on now to this, this point of how, how ethics works in the kingdom of God. And I want to compare it to, um, I, guess, I mean, ethics, as, as I say ethics, I, I, I'm going to talk about eth- the economy of ethics is how you become righteous before God. And I want to compare it to a secular uh, version of how someone becomes righteous and I want to bring up, uh, I got the writings up here of Aristotle. Any Aristotle fans out there? Whoop, whoop. Uh, Aristotle's a pretty cool dude. He lived in like 300 BC. He was a student of Plato. He was a teacher of Alexander the Great. You guys knew that, right? I mean, it's a pretty big deal. He, was, he, was, he wrote about all kinds of things. He wrote about science and animals and plants. And he wrote about uh, uh, metaphysics. And he wrote about... Um, uh, Governments, and he wrote about ethics. And in his book, actually titled Ethics, he writes about what it means to be righteous. And so, the Aristotle, not a Christian, not a believer in God, kind of a believer in like the ancient Greek gods, very secular, very pagan, Aristotle was right about a lot of things. I mean, Aristotle's things, some of the things that he wrote about lasted thousands of years, into the Middle Ages, of what was scientifically correct. Uh, so, Aristotle was right about a lot of things, but he was wrong. When it comes to the ethics of how God's economy works, how someone is declared righteous, um, Aristotle said this: that righteousness follows a man's work and is brought about by them. So, to Aristotle, and this is a very, this worldly, secular, it makes sense that if someone is righteous, that means they do righteous things. If someone's doing really good things, doing a bunch of righteous acts, then we would say that person is righteous. So in a secular, worldly sense, uh, righteousness follows a man's work and is brought about by it. And Aristotle used the argument, kind of the illustration of an eyeball. He said, an eyeball is a good, a righteous eyeball, if the eyeball does the work of seeing. If the eye can see, it's a good eye. If the eye can't see, it's a bad eye. And so this just kind of, I mean, it kind of makes sense, right? In a worldly, secular sense, of ethics. Someone is righteous if they do righteous things. So they do, do a bunch of righteous things, you know, do this, do that, take care of some poor people, uh, do nice things, you know, and then you're declared righteous. But in God's economy of righteousness, God can take the eye that can't see and make it see. God gives slight sight to the blind. He gives hearing to the deaf. In, in the creation story, God says, let there be light. There was light. God called the light good. He made earth. He created things and called them good. There is a God. He is creator. And our God creator is a good God. So in God's economy, in the biblical way of, of thinking about righteousness, there is a righteousness that precedes works. And Martin Luther, our homeboy, the German from the Middle Ages, jumps all over this idea and talks about uh, God's uh, righteousness, that we are justified by him through faith, and that justification precedes works, and good works grow out of it. So Aristotle was wrong. I just said that. He was wrong about a lot of things, by the way. Aristotle wrote about science and he said there's, there's five elements. Wind, water, earth, fire, and like life, ether, he called it. And he would say, he would like say, say the bagel you're eating. He would say that bagel you're eating is part earth because it came from wheat and it comes from the earth and it's fluffy and you could squeeze it so it's got air in it. So it's part air and it's warm. So it's part fire. That's what Aristotle said. Turns out, at least right now, we know that there are 117 elements on the periodic table, not just five. Aristotle, what was he thinking? He was wrong. He was wrong about that, and he was, he was more wrong about the economy of God's righteousness, how we are made righteous. We are not, I mean, it seems, seems to make sense. I mean, if you're living in 300 BC, and someone's like, dude, that bagel's made out of earth, air, and fire, you'd be like, yeah, it is. <laughs> but it's not. Aristotle was wrong. And so, if, I mean, if you're talking to somebody in a secular sense, you're like, what makes that person righteous? What makes them good? Well, they do good things. But Christianity is very, very different. God's economy of how God, the creator of this world, works, and looking at how things really, truly work in the economy of righteousness, God declares us righteous by our faith in him, and out of that righteousness, we do good things. And so the last point today, we got just a little bit of time to talk about this idea of the security of salvation. The, the perseverance of the saints. The question, maybe you've thought about this before, can you lose your salvation? Raise your hand if you've thought about that question before. So, like, can I lose my salvation? I'm gonna be totally honest with you right now. There are two theological opinions on the matter, can you lose your salvation? One says, It's possible. And one says, it is not possible. And the one that says, it is not possible, would take an example like, oh, here's a person that says, they believe in Jesus. They love God. They're in the crazy zone at worship at the mill. They're amen in the sermons. They believe. They say they believe. But then five years from now, you look on their Facebook page, and they're heathens. And they're they're believing in Buddhism. The the, the, The theology that says, you cannot lose your salvation, would say, that person never had salvation you can 't lose it you 're eternally secure, Calvinism to get into the the big words of 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 the theology. The other side is Arminianism. Arminianism says that we are saved by a choice that we put our faith in God because there 's human choice, human responsibility so therefore, if knowing God we, we fall into you know the, the salvation we, we, we jump into faith and salvation by Christ, we have salvation we know it we 're responsible for our salvation and thought. Uh, and giving it to him, giving our, our our faith to him, we can, Arminianism would say, that we can lose salvation, not just like, whoops, where'd it go? I lost it. What happened to my salvation? Man, it's on the floor somewhere. Where'd it go? I don't know. It's not like we lose it like that, but we are responsible for uh, our salvation and, and what we believe. And so someone could say, I don't believe in God anymore. And then they could lose their salvation. They could say, I do not believe anymore. And they could uh, resent their faith in Christ and they can lose their salvation. Not as in like, whoops, I lost it. Where'd it go? But as in a, I do not believe anymore. I once believed and now I don't. But here's the main thing. Are you ready for the main point? Because this this can kind of get confusing. Um, is that you don't lose your salvation based upon sin. You don't lose your salvation based upon messing up. You don't lose your salvation based upon a bad work because you don't gain your salvation based upon a good work let's just say you you know someone thinks oh i messed up i lost my salvation what do i need to do to get my salvation back well i need to do some good things to cover over that bad thing to cover over my bad sin so that i still have salvation that's not how it works you don't gain your salvation based upon works you don't lose your salvation Based upon works. Even an Arminius that says you can lose your salvation. You can. Would say, yeah, you don't lose it based upon, oh, I messed up. I guess I lost it. Like I lost my coin. I can't find it anymore. No, you don't lose it based upon uh, just messing up and sinning. Because you don't gain it based upon good works. I had a friend that um, would always kind of, he had this saying. He would say, it's not my eternal salvation. So he'd see someone doing something stupid and be like, go ahead not my eternal salvation and it it was funny to us because we we know that you don't lose your salvation based upon a sin and we were sitting down one time and uh he was i think we were at i forget where we were at we saw some kid ask his mom for a cookie he's like mom can i have this cookie and mom said no and then mom kind of turned and was talking to another lady and this kid kind of sneaks up takes the cookie and then looks at us like are you gonna tattletale on me and my friend looks at this kid and says, "Go ahead and eat it. It's not my eternal salvation." <laughs> and the kid's like, and he puts it back. <laughs> walks back to mommy. But it's—I mean—it's a joke. We all laugh because that's not how salvation works. We don't lose it or gain it based upon being a good boy or a good little girl. That—that that, um, it's put this way. My friend Joel. Where's Joel? Joel is a really cool. He's our Jewish scholar of of Sunday school. He told me that in the the Torah, the Old Testament scrolls are housed in this uh, box. If you go to a Jewish synagogue, they're housed in a box and it's a very important ornate box. And on the box is the statement, know before whom you stand. That if you have salvation, if you are saved by grace through faith, there is a righteousness inside of you that precedes works. And you are saved by that grace, but you still have to know before whom you stand. You make decisions in life based upon your knowing of God. The good works, good choices come out of knowing before whom you stand. And so if after Sunday school, you come up and say, Joe, are you preaching cheap grace? I would say, yes, because it's free and it can't get any cheaper than free. And if you were to explain to me, wait, I mean, by cheap grace, I mean, can you just say a prayer and then you're saved and then go out and keep partying like it's 1999? I would say, no, that's not how grace works. Salvation works when you turn your heart over to God. You're saved by that grace. There's righteousness inside of you. And then if you truly are saved, will you go out and party like it's 1999 anymore? I don't think so. And if you do, you know what's going to happen? Well, all of us in Sunday school are going to call you on it, A. B, you're going to feel a conviction from the Holy Spirit. And if you mess up and party like it's 1999, and you know what I mean by that, right? If you, if you just, I'm just kind of using that term to say fall into sin. When you fall into sin after being saved, there's going to be a conviction. And it's not, it's not a conviction because you lost salvation, but it's a conviction because you know before whom you stand. And you know the free gift that's give, been given to you. This grace is a real thing, and you know that by doing good works, you're affirming the grace that is already inside of you. I want to close quickly with just a, a story. It's more of an illustration story. The story of a of a poor family. Uh, they have they have one child. A mom and a dad have a child. They're extremely extremely poor. The little kid loves baseball. He grows up. All he wants to do is to play baseball to someday go to a major league baseball game. And uh, the kid, as he's a a young teenager, his birthday rolls around and his parents save up enough money for a, a major league baseball game ticket, 45 bucks. And there's no way that all three of them can go to this game. They just have barely enough money for this kid to go to the major league baseball game. And so they drop him off, this young teenager boy goes into the stadium, gives the ticket to the guy. It's been paid for. And instead of watching the baseball game, the kid runs around the stadium trying to pay back his mom and dad for the ticket. He goes around, he gets a bag, he starts collecting cans, jumping into trash cans, getting as many cans, like soda cans, as he can, putting them in a bag so that he can recycle them, get five cents a can, and then pay back his parents for the ticket of the baseball game. Can you imagine the look on the parents' faces when this little kid, when the parents come back to pick him up, the little kid, sweaty, covered in, you know, sap from the, the, the cans of soda and the sugar, and he's all sweaty, He gets into the car with his little bag of cans, and says, Mom and Dad, I'm so sorry. I tried to pay you back. All I've got is about $10.50, cents." Can you imagine the disappointment that the parents had because their son, we wanted you to see the game. Your ticket was paid in full. You didn't need to, to earn it. I think that's how salvation works. Let's, let's, let's pray this morning. Let's thank God for that gift. Jesus, we are so honored. We are so, we are so unworthy, to be honest, of salvation. The Bible, the word of God says that while we were still dead In our sin, you died for us, Jesus. You've given us a free gift, a free grace, a righteousness that is inside of each and every one of us that have accepted you. God, we are so honored. We are so in love with you because you have given us this righteousness. God, keep us from trying to think that we need to do something in order to be saved, that we need to do good works to be saved, or this feeling that we've lost our salvation because we've messed up. God, we are eternally secure in you because we know that our salvation has been given to us as a gift of God and that we only need to turn to you and believe in you for that salvation. God, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for this free gift that you've given to us. We leave here excited. We leave here in joy knowing that you love us and have accounted to us as righteousness. So we love you and praise you. And everybody said, Amen. Amen.